Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story Inc. is Jordan Hyman. Jordan is a content marketing executive with 22 years of experience, providing all kinds of double-digit growth for brands that you know and love. Uh, some of his diverse background includes leadership roles at NBC Universal, Dow Jones, Bloomberg, Time Inc., uh, and a ton of awards, including I can never pronounce as it can, as it con. I know the con lion for the Wall Street Journal's launch partnership launch with Netflix and Narcos season one. Binge-worthy, kudos to you. Jordan has become a good friend uh, over the years, and we're excited to have you here today. Thanks, Jay. Uh, thrilled to be here. Uh, it, it's been uh, it's been a wild a wild ride for sure uh, in recent years, but and I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's it's just an exciting time to be alive in in brand content or whatever we call it these days. Yeah, and Jordan Jordan's one of my go tos to break down all the uh, semantics, lexicon, jargon, and uh, got to know him quite a bit when he was at NBC Universal, just starting at NBC Universal. Uh, excited to have you here, and you know, at the risk of making you blush, in the past half decade, you've been running point on revenue generation through content studio solutions, I call it, for A-list brands like we talked about. Share some of the specifics for context on your roles through that sales perspective at these various stops on the Jordan Hyman plot line. Yes, it's scary to think about the plot line. Uh, it's scary to think about the the, the twenty and the two and, and all that stuff. Uh, I I don't feel that old, and uh, and so we'll, we'll hope to keep it that way. Uh, to, to your and point, you look, though, and you look like Clark Kent, which annoys the heck out of me. You, you yeah, the, I mean those good looks too. Right, and and with and with lockdown, you know, it's okay to keep the trench coat on all day. It uh, so. Um, no, I, it's been it's been a, it's been an interesting couple of years, without a doubt. Uh, I I think about you know the, the 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 changes, even if I look at say the last ten years, uh, where where content for brands still sort of felt like a new thing for a lot of clients and customers that that I spoke to, uh, and and to to some I think it actually still is, which which is amazing. And yet, you're now looking at just a massive spectrum. I mean, if you put yourself in in the shoes of, of the heads of content or CMOS uh, or, or or their agency counterparts that you know that I've worked with, you know, in my in my roles, whether whether it was at the Wall Street Journal slash Market Watch slash Barrons or or in, in my time at NBC Universal or going back to the Bloomberg or even Time Inc. days, you know, it, it everything has changed from who creates the content to how much it costs to how long it takes to produce. And then, then you start talking about where it's going to show up, uh, and yeah. whether it's 30 seconds or 30 minutes. It, it really, I, I, I find it far more interesting and far more complex than ever. Uh, and I, and I think that a, a lot of a lot of the clients that I know well uh, are having to navigate this brave new world that has become all the much more complex in the last three to four months. Um, and, and to do it perhaps with fewer people. So I, I, I do think that this is a this is a time when you know history and expertise and experience can really help, especially if you have a point of view and, and, and you've gotten really good at doing something within this whole ecosystem. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. The first, I mean, we've done a couple dozen podcasts here now on Brand Story Inc. And you're the first person who I would look at who's joined us who's truly on the revenue generation side. Um, 
But in order to do that well, as you know, better than anyone, you really need to understand what you just were talking about on the content side. And so last episode, we had uh, Josh Sternberg, who's worked at Digiday, Adweek. He helped build Washington Post studio, content studios. And we talked about sales and editorial balance of effective content. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at there. He even used this content scale that he used to use um, when he would sit down with either internal or external with brands from the content side. I think he started this at the Washington Post where it went from like one, which was over over the top, just flat out advertising to 10, which was like the highest, purest form of editorial where there was a, a light touch or association with a sponsor to kind of say, okay, what are your expectations? Um, I'd love to get your take on how brands and sponsors have evolved into better understanding or not kind of the value of aligning with well-produced content and how they fit within it. Yeah, I, I, I like I like that scale thinking as well. I've, I've used, I wouldn't say a one to 10 in, in my career, but I've certainly used a some sort of a sliding scale so that so that I'm hopefully listening well to what a, a CMO, let's say, is saying mm-hmm. he or she wants to accomplish. And then you say, okay, if you if you're serious about wanting to do X, if you're serious about looking to drive brand lift, or if you're looking to drive subscription, whatever your action intent might be, here's where I would suggest we go on that spectrum. Uh, I I will say though, I think you know, even as as we've advanced into into the, the current years, I don't I don't know that the expectations of certain clients, again thinking of that one one to ten scale, that they always necessarily match. Um, you know what they're telling you meaning you know they they may say to you hey i you know i i i love what you guys have done with with documentary type content and Mm -hmm. i I really want to produce something like that um but at the end of the day you know they're they're looking for people to you know to to take a meeting with their head partner for a consultancy gig or you know or 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 buy a car you know Mm -hmm. or, or buy a specific consumer product and and those actions don't necessarily always correlate to, you know, what maybe their vision or their grand vision is uh, from a content perspective. And so, I, what I'm what I'm seeing in the evolution now is you have you just have a you have a broader spectrum of uh, of knowledge of awareness uh, on the client side, in part because uh, a lot of a lot of the brands that we know and love have have hired from you know, the best and brightest content shops, you know, whether it's a director or filmmaker or, or a true editor, writer, photographer, you name it. And they brought them in house. Um, mm-hmm. Now, mind you, in, in, in the COVID world, there's a, there's a lot of furloughed talent that's out there. Right. Um, but but having had a lot of this talent in house, I mean, I can tell you whether it's a I think about like a financial services brand like Prudential quite a bit. They have a huge in-house editorial staff and it, it makes them smarter about their own content. But I also think that 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 leads to more challenges with their understanding of their products and, and their user experience compared to what say a wall street journal or a new york times or an ft or a cnbc you know might recommend and and so therein lies that interesting conversation about here's what we do and do best you know on the media yeah. publishing content side here's what you're trying to accomplish how do we how do we navigate all this considering what's happening in the world and budget constraints and people constraints etc so it's i think it's more complex than ever yeah, I, I agree. And then you, you look at the, the media landscape and we'll get into kind of the connected TV world, which seems to be having, I don't want to say if it's a moment, but um, an interesting inflection point for sure. But I, I want to go oh, back yeah. to something that you and I have talked about quite a few times. Look, you most recently you led branded content sales um, at a media giant, NBC Universal, right? No stranger to media planners, ad buyers, 
working with brands and agencies collectively um, and quite, you know, I always joke about, you know, what does it look like on the spreadsheet, right? Because there is that element of um, scale, right? If, a, if an agency planner or buyer is looking, they want efficiencies on, you know, cost per thousands or CPMs and, you know, they want everything. They want great content. They want value. Um, but scale is a word I feel, I haven't heard it as much lately, but, it, you know, for a couple of years there, it was like scale, scale, scale. What's your take on where agencies are in relation to scaled media buying? And, and what advice do you have for media properties that maybe don't enjoy that level of scale like an, like an NBC Universal has? How can they win with, with tier one and tier two brands? Yeah, I, I, I love this question. I, I have such a, a, I'll call it love-hate relationship with, with the concept of scale because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I grew up at a lot, a lot of publications, publishers that, that, you know, today, if you look at it, they don't have the scale of an NBC Universal. Right. Um, so, you know, whether it was Bloomberg or whether it was, you know, Time and Fortune and Sport, even Sports Illustrated in, in the early 2000s mm-hmm. uh, and certainly Dow Jones. Now, you know, we, we would come up, in those in, in my time there we'd come up with some brilliant ideas i mean truly brilliant ideas uh and in some cases we would lose the business to a specific client because we we were told you don't have the scale um i think looking at it today um it, scale is obviously still important but i don't know that any outside of of the real duopoly outside of a facebook and google and maybe you can put amazon in there now mm-hmm. n- no one stop has the true scale to satisfy uh, a png uh yeah. etc one of those big guys um and and so i i actually don't think even though our pitch at nbc universal was and remains very much built on we have more scale than most or anyone um, I don't know from an agency perspective that that, that is that that's believed. I, I think agencies these days know that they can find scale on their own, uh, and I and I believe that to be true. Meaning, hey, if I want to reach the C-suite, uh, let's say, or you know, I, I want to reach reach auto intenders, you know, I, I can I can maybe partner with one company to create something, take that asset or assets, and I can go I can go scale that audience right. programmatically. Right. So so I don't I don't know that it's as big a deal, which I think to your to your second question, Jay, I mean, I think this is an opportunity for a media property that maybe doesn't have quite that scale, because to me, it's now it becomes more a question of what can what can that firm offer that perhaps a place with scale cannot. So, you know, what can you do for me for, for from a cost perspective, from a content ownership perspective, from a talent perspective? Uh, from an authenticity or a tone of voice perspective, you know what 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 can you do for me for say that same hundred thousand dollar pie that I've allocated for the, this content series, knowing that I'll take you know the next hundred thousand and and I'll be able to buy in a real streamlined fashion buy the audience however way I want to, you know that to me opens up a whole new world of content creation media properties that don't that don't have to feel like they're going to lose automatically because of scale. In, in- have you seen significant change in kind of that appreciation? Like what you just described makes a lot of sense, but let's face it, you and I have been in a couple of rooms together and um, while I'm envious, you guys should, listeners, it's it's pretty fun to be with Jordan in a room. When he was at NBC Universal in particular, it was kind of like, uh, <laughs> it was like, pick a pick a large brand. Here's a hundred of them, right? And so it was it was a it was a pretty compelling sell of yeah. Here's some here's some uh, we're gonna create custom content that meets your needs, and then we're going to oh you want you know high net worths here's CNBC oh you want youth you know here's Fandango right we you had so many different interests it was you could it was like pick a card any card 
Um, mm-hmm. And then it's almost like on the other extreme, you have, I know you're a huge Penn State fan, right? And so it's like the value of getting into like Penn State's best blog in a unique way, right? Like that yeah. deep, rich connection where you can get a couple hundred thousand people to run through a wall for you if you do it the right way. And it's, yep. um, those are maybe bad examples, but are you seeing, are you, have you seen a change in years from the sophistication and appreciation on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I have a I'm, as you're as you're talking, and I'm thinking about a list of brands in my head that that I know for a fact have have said, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this piece of content with this partner just because I've heard good things or I want to mm-hmm. try this. Bank of America is an example. I mean, they did a series of podcasts in the last year that I believe they did four different series of podcasts with four different production partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they kind of threw scale to the wind, at least in making those decisions. And they wound up using their O&O, believe it or not, because they have so many millions of customers in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they, they use their O&O to, to really lead that distribution and, and save some money. And, and and look, from a sales perspective, I'd always say, you know, you, you still want to think about our targeting, especially as you get into a world where, you know, you're, you're, you know, whatever happens with Google, there's this rise of, of first party data that you're seeing at a lot of the air quotes, smaller publishers yeah. to say you, you need our audience, too. But I, I, again, I think that that is up for debate. And I think it depends on what you're producing and when. And I, you know, whether it's financial services or technology, HP is another example where, you know, I, I know for a fact that, that a client of mine at HP spent about $60,000 to produce a really high quality video series. That at a at a at a major you know media company where, where we're transacting on media dollars, that production cost might have been sixty or seventy thousand dollars, but we would have charged more probably, mm-hmm. and we would have asked for a media commitment to try to match it, and so your out of pocket goes up. And, and again, I think gone are the days when those are your only options. Mm-hmm. They're still they're still viable and they make sense to go the to go that route. But you have so much talent that is out there that can help you with very specific production elements. And I, I just think that that's, that's where you're seeing this change. Uh, and, and it really is free. From a brand perspective, I, I think it frees you up to think about the different components, distribution separate from production, and then drilling down into what you're really trying to accomplish and who's the best partner to, to offer it to you. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, almost on cue, there's a phone ringing in the background, which kind of like... Someone needs to buy something. There you go. (laughs) Someone needs to buy something and speaks to the COVID world of trying to have a portable podcast studio, which is like in in my living room, right? So um, to that end, I'm curious, uh, seriously, in my network, you may be the most tapped in person that I know to kind of brand and agencies from a a buy perspective, uh, you know, kind of on on the front lines there. How are things changing in the COVID-19 world from your perspective? What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, number one, the, the, the biggest thing is you have a, a lot of brands that are going to try to figure out how, how can we do more with less? And I'm, and part of that, yes, is, is the budget thing. I, I think I think if we had this conversation, Jay, back in, say, maybe March or April, then I would have said, yeah, you know, Q2 is going to be bad. Um, Q3 is going to show life. And Q4 will be stability and growth. I, I, I don't know that that's... Going to, going to remain intact anymore. I think from a budget perspective, it's it's Q2 was bad. Q3 is is hanging on by skin your teeth, and then and Q4 might show a bit of turnaround or at least stability. But the but the real growth at this point is 2021 and the Olympic year, and and when people are able to get some of their production back on track. So so the more with less question is, is a budget question, and then also a talent question, mm-hmm. because if you if you look at 
I mean, a, a lot of brands that had to furlough content talent or, or media or marketing talent, um, they're having to make those unfortunate decisions that it's not just a furlough anymore. Right. You know, that, that right. that's it. And so, I mean, I, I've had, I have a good friend at Hilton, for example, who's whispered in my ear. He said, look, we, you know, we'll be back and we have a need to do things, but we, we're just not going to have the talent that, that is full time on staff anymore. So who, who fills that void for us? Is it right. a, you know, is it a publisher? Is it an independent I mean, how do, how do we do more with less? Um, and, and again, then the last piece of that, as I noted, is, is hey, we might not have a million dollars to support media distribution of that program. So what are my own channels? What, what can I do with yeah. my social? What can I do with my O&O? I mean, I, I already have people staying in my hotels, buying my cars, buying my products, retail. So mm -hmm. I have other partnerships and distribution I haven't leveraged before. How, how do I do more with that that maybe doesn't cost me as much out of pocket? And that's these are key questions that brands are thinking about. And this is this is to kind of follow up on that more on the content side. What what new trends are you seeing emerging for branded content? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is um, which which I like a lot is is the the longer form piece of this. Mm -hmm. So I, I think historically, if I if I look at the last ten years, you know, most of the work that teams that I led created it was it was shorter form it was certainly shorter than five minutes and a lot of it was was shorter than two minutes and i'm talking about video mm -hmm. or podcast um even, even the written version of some of this if i if i think back to my wall street journal days these were 300 word stories not thousand word essays um and but now i now i think because you have people at home and uh, and consumption patterns are changing and and there is a willingness to to binge and that might be 10 episodes of 45 minutes a pop and people people are okay to watch that within a day or two um and they have the time to do so i think you're seeing brands start to to dabble a bit more in in different types of content um you know both audio and video and and also and also longer form or, or mid form um I, I've, I've had lots of good conversations with some friends at insider uh, and Business Insider, same company, mm -hmm. and, and Insider, and, and if you look at their length of, of video specifically, it's it's not two minutes, it's not twenty minutes, it's more like six to eight minutes, and mm -hmm. and they and they have found a sweet spot that their audience consumes, and so you know within that insight, you have brands that are saying, okay, well, I you know if that's working for you, then maybe I should be trying something like that. Um, I also think, by the way, that there are brands that because of time and talent constraints and everything we're talking about you know they're they're willing to try what i would look at as a as an old school sponsorship so whether it's you know last dance with michael jordan where you yeah. had you know just three straight up sponsors you know pretty simple mm -hmm. um or or what you're seeing from say a peacock you know where there were there were 10 launch partners you know it it's it's a it's that's an old school model that's a sponsorship model that we were using at sports illustrated in 2002 you know um to launch a swimsuit you know issue you know, now, now you're seeing that you know kind of come back because again, I think it's a it's an easier way. It doesn't require you know someone or someone's to have to sit there and review and approve as much. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know for some brands that they want to just be seamless, they want to be part of quality content or alongside quality content um, that isn't say controversial and, and and maybe isn't as timely, but is is binge worthy and is something that you know fans love. And so. I, you know, I'm seeing I'm seeing both. I'm seeing some experimentation with with longer form, uh, and, and a willingness also to try new distribution channels, without a doubt. And also, again, a throwback to I think some of the tried and true, safer sponsorship models of old. Well, to your point, kind of new distribution channels. I'd love to roll up the sleeves on connected TV, right? The on-demand rat race has dozens of free OTT solutions, which is probably mm -hmm. not a sustainable 
long-term play, but you've got everything from Pluto to Zumo to Fubo and throw in some, you know, dozens of acronyms on top of that. And then, of course, the paid OTT offerings, whether it's Peacock, Hulu, Netflix. I'm curious to get your take on the, on this landscape. As we record this on uh, July 16th, it's the day after Peacock just launched, and it was you and I were talking offline about how interesting it is that Roku and, and Amazon haven't distributed yet. It's almost like a flip of the old business model where like the, you know, the, the large cable companies were always negotiating and, and not distributing and that was their leverage. And now here's a media giant launching a OTT service and, you know, these companies that were upstarts a few years ago now seem to have leverage. Just what's your take on where we are in the OTT and streaming world? Yeah, I mean, this, this is, it's so fascinating to me. If, I mean, if you look at, if you look at the, I mean, at, at one point in time, not long ago, this streaming thing was like, uh, it, it felt like an outlier. It felt, it felt risky. The numbers were small. Advertisers really didn't have a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. They still kind of don't, but, but you, you know, it, it was, it was cord cutters that people were labeled right. as, as being different. Um, Boy, fast forward and boom! All of a sudden, you had, you had a pandemic into, into this, and, and the streaming numbers are off the charts. You know, the gaming numbers are off the charts, but just the consumption hours uh, are crazy. And it's you know, it's not all just the new programming, the new series that you know that we've all come to to love and know about and discuss. It's a lot of the the standbys. It's it's a lot of the the old comfort food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, Pe- Peacock is is putting a big bet it's, it's not there today but it, but it will be in 2021 in the office yeah um which which a year ago if you look at the the top two most watched programs at least by minutes watched on netflix it was friends in the office um and and you're seeing you're seeing a lot of that um and so from a, i think first of all from a just a consumer perspective from a viewer perspective the options are suddenly off the wall um but probably overwhelming and 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 i i don't know as you go down that list that that all of those peacock and and what apple is offering looks like in disney plus and netflix which the world already seems to have and hulu you know they can't all survive at no. least in their in their current trajectory right so that so there's that um and and then you know you've got the the brand side of this and the advertising side of this and it's and and i think you have a lot of brands that are continuing to say again hey look, we, we're we're making content you know that we think is as good as anything that's on those platforms um, so, so how do we how do we get it to shine either without paying for it, which happens, um, or or with making some sort of a trade, which Netflix is renowned for, um, <laughs> and then and then you have you know Peacock Peacock comes into the mix yesterday officially with with the paid tiers, um, and you know and, and the strategy here is hey we we just don't think there's a lot of offerings historically uh, for for advertisers to be part of this. It's it really has been been pretty limited. So. You know, we're, we're going to open this up for you with with limited commercials, but still an ability to have um, a, a pretty high share of voice as mm-hmm. a brand. Uh, and we're, we're launching with, with 10 percent shares of voice to be able to have it have a stake and, and be visible. Um, and also asking that that ad creative be while limited to be at a level that we feel like complements content. You know, NBCU feels complements its content versus something that truly feels like, oh, that's an ad. Let me get up and walk away. So it's so it's been done in in good taste, which I think is is interesting and hopefully will elevate you know what you're seeing there. Um, I, I just I just think you're gonna you know this is a, this is a new wild wild west. This is a you know you, people are putting huge bets here. Obviously, I actually think NBC Universal put a bet out that you know was a little bit on the safe side considering the legacy networks and all the content that lives there and trying to protect some of that 
Um, but but in time, as the dollars and the eyeballs quickly continue to accelerate on the on the streaming side, that's got to shift. Um, th- and that that's going to shift, and and therefore. Uh, ad budgets that maybe were 10 or 15 percent on the streaming side of the house a, a year ago now are suddenly at 25 or 30 percent yeah. you know and that's only going to go up that's only going to go up and and it's it's not as the whole pie grows it's going to be at the detriment of some of the legacy spent well that's interesting i think one of one of the challenges or opportunities that i see is that everyone's kind of getting in bed with everyone non-exclusive agreements right like being mm-hmm. distributed everywhere and there, I have quite a few folks that listen here that are executives or, or run media publishing entities, right? And so some of them small, some of them some of them larger. And I, I've experienced this personally with um, La Vida Baseball, the Latino baseball company that we started. You sit down with somebody, and despite the fact that the content, right, we all know you can use things like paid social to achieve scale. Even NBC Universal does that. Like other people do mm-hmm. that. Like there's that amorphousness, right? Or intangibility from the agency or brand being like, but where does it live? And you're like, it lives here and here and here. And then, you know, a a company I really respect, Complex Networks, uh, you look at, you go to their website and it's like at the bottom, they have a running ticker. You can find our content. And the thing has like 60 different logos, right? It's got all the OTT platforms. It's got other media partners. And I'm curious, as many media publishers have kind of, um, you know, done these non-exclusive agreements where their content is running on all these platforms because everyone's trying to figure out who's going to win this, right? I think yeah. the the the, un, the elephant in the room is well, we don't know which one's going to win, so we're going to put it on all the horses, right? And figure <laughs> out. But I'm I'm curious how brands and agencies are viewing this world, like for the complex or other people like that who kind of have their content distributed all over the place because you have the OTT services going to the brand marketplace. You have folks like your former employers going to the marketplace, and then you have independent publishers like Complex Networks or the Levita Baseballs all going out there. Um, yep. And yet we're all kind of representing content that's running in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I, I mean, I, so I think in this case that from a brand brand and agency perspective. You, you kind of don't care wh- which of these services wins. It, 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 it almost doesn't matter as long as you are achieving, there's that scale word, word mm-hmm. again, as long as you're achieving the scale that you deem necessary to, to get to your numbers and, and your action metrics. So if, so if a complex or one of their competitors is able to get you virtually everywhere um, and, and you know, you're seeing that it's sort of a fractured viewership between between different services, so what? You're, you're not looking at it through the lens of one service, one OTT. You're, you're, you're looking at it just on behalf of, of your content or your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, because you can't advertise at least in the old fashioned way on a Netflix and you, and you, and you really can't on, you know, an Apple or mm-hmm. Disney Plus, at least right now. I, I do think some of that's going to change in time. It's one of my predictions, especially with Netflix in the yeah. next two years. But I but I, I just I think because of that, you know, you're sort of at the mercy of, of a third party, you know, a complex that can get you. I mean, I, I 
not in a negative way, but I, I look at them through the lens of a, of a tabula or an outbrain of, of digital early mm-hmm. days where, you know, I don't, I didn't know if I would, if people would consume my content on WSJ.com or Yahoo Finance or whatever. So I, I just put my bet on the third party to get it everywhere yeah. um, and to be able to buy with some ability to target, which is another key piece here. You know, keep in mind if, if I'm, if I'm Ford and, and I want to talk about the Bronco and I, and I want that to a certain audience, you know, it might not be able to, to achieve that sort of scale just on a Peacock or, right. or just on a Hulu. So yeah. therefore get me everywhere. And, and that's, you know, that, that's where I think we are. We're, in many ways, I actually I see streaming is following the model of, of digital, of digital advertising and, and digital content distribution. You have, you know, you have the publishers, you have those that are that are and the subscriber and the su- subscription paid services, and then you know you have these third parties that are working a number of these different deals, some non exclusive, some limited exclusive, to port content and, and to bring brands in some cases with them to different audiences. And you know that's that wild wild west is really just heating up. It's it's kind of in its infancy in many ways. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. It's fascinating just to even keep, we work in the business just to stay on top of it. It's crazy enough. But I'm yes. curious to kind of, you've had such big brand, such um, uh, high brand IQ companies that you've worked for from a brand recognition perspective. What advice do you have for the independent publishing entities, whether quote unquote big or small, as they're trying to grow their sponsorship pie? What's the reality check uh, and the worldview they should know to succeed, coming from a guy who's been in the wars uh, and and sometimes not one when you had as much scale as scale could be. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think. Uh, I mean, you know, when, when you when you look at the uh, you know so, some of the the independent titles or, or you know some some of the even even smaller players or, or those that you know basically anyone outside of the the Facebook. And Google mm-hmm. and, and Amazon world. I mean, even even you know even those that we would consider big, you know, that, right. that just aren't one of those three. Um, I think they all need to be thinking about these sorts of questions. Um, and, and I and I think you know I think that reality check starts with what are, what are you offering that others don't? What, what what are you and and in reality and also what are you known for? Um, what mm-hmm. what is your what's the word on the street? You know, when when someone asks about Jay and, and his shop, then then what you know what are people saying? You know, before they even pick up the phone, if they ever pick up the phone, um, and and again, I, I, some of that to me is you know they're they're easy to work with. They they have a product or a few different products when it comes to production mm-hmm. content or, and or measurement. If we're, if we're throwing that into the mix too, and, and an ability to think about you know the ad tech side of this and and consumer sentiment and, and all that fun stuff. You know what? What are you bringing that others don't? Mm-hmm. Um, and and what do you cost? You know to to work with. Um, I I look at I look at the world in 2020, and I, I just I see a ton of opportunity. I mean, and maybe that's the naive optimist in me. It happens from time it. to time. We need it. Yep, bring it. But I, but I, I mean, I just I think there are a lot of voices that were despite despite the, the clamoring and despite the angst in this country, we're, we're still not hearing from all these voices. We're still not seeing all these all these faces. Um, and and you know if if not given the opportunity, then those voices will find it on their own. So I um, maybe not a prime example, but one thing I, I was thinking about is you know Twitch, um, yep. which is you know it, it, it's part of the Amazon empire. So maybe not apples to apples, but on its own, you know it's it's still an upstart in many ways and, and was really built on on the backs of, of streaming for for gamers. Um, but you you know you have you have live streams uh, of of protests across the country that are popping up on on a Twitch, mm-hmm. um, and and giving voice to the movements in this country right now. And it's a you know it, it's not necessarily being monetized quite yet, but huh. but why not? It's a, to me it's a real easy pivot. 
um, to, to then to then make that into a regular series or segment um, and to be able to take it and, and whether you take it from Twitch and beyond or whether you just really double down on an individual platform like that because you think you have enough scale, um, th- there are opportunities like that um, across sports, across culture, across music, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I just I just see a lot of upstarts right now, people trying to carve out a piece of the market. Um, you know, I, I have a couple of friends in podcasting who are just that's all they're doing. You know, to the yeah. point of focus, which you and I talked about, I mean, do one thing and do it really well. Um, you know, there's there are a lot of us that have been caught a bit flat footed where we, we've said we can do it all, which might be possible, but you can't do it all well. So if you're right. a, if you're an expert and that's production, analytics, et cetera, um, and this goes for the agencies that have waded into the same space as, as historical production side. You know, if you're if you're an expert and you can prove it out and you get yourself a couple of good examples out of the gate, you've got calling cards. You know, yeah. this is the salesman putting my hat on. Now you've got calling cards. You know, that's what Netflix was for us at the Wall Street Journal, circa 2016. Um, one brilliantly pieced, you know, high metric piece of content that won some nice awards, and you're off to the races with you know hundreds, literally, of, of sales calls. Uh, and other programs where partners say, do that for me, mm-hmm. even if do that for me means something totally different. Right. So I, I see that moment now if you're if you're a smaller shop with that with that ability and that ambition. Uh, this is a retread part of a conversation you and I had when uh, we, we'd be at NBC Universal's offices at, on Avenue of the Americas when people used to go into Manhattan for work. Um, <laughs> I remember that. I remember the, those glory days. And I'm curious, we used to talk about digital media as a whole, like as it relates to linear television and how it amazed you and me, even though, uh, you know, we're middle-aged dudes, right? And there's a lot of young folks walking around those offices. Um, It just, it still seemed in the large media companies that there was this element of, of digital being added value, you're probably your least favorite word, or add-on, right? Where, where like linear was this behemoth, despite all the metrics, the better measurement on digital, like the consumption. And I'm curious um, what your perspective is, because I think I'm biased and I've been looking for this, about how COVID has changed that perception around digital consumption as it relates to kind of being... Um, at least at the older decision maker, maybe more monolithic media companies, um, where, it, where it seemed to still be second fiddle, even as late as February 2020. Yep, yep. I mean, I, I can speak to NBC Universal as a, as a microcosm for what's I think happening here. I mean, we we all knew that that this digital linear divide was was going to collapse at some point, uh, and that and that digital, both from a just a, a way of transacting and also just a, a mindset an approach to content and approach to media that it that the digital was going to far surpass at some point somewhat soon i, I think if you ask most executives if, if you ask the you know the, the heads of NBC universal or, or cbs viacom if you ask them in january you know they would have said two to four years something like that and, mm-hmm. and we'll get there knowing full well that you know things were pretty good in in the cozy world of, of upfront negotiations and and being able to secure dollars for a year like that uh largely with you know the unknowns about exactly where ads would run and how many would run et cetera, et cetera, at the time of, of deal um now really in four or five months you you've just seen just a massive digital acceleration uh you know again driven by consumption patterns you know p- people are are free to consume whatever they want and more of it 
um, on on their own time, using their own devices, using a, a number of platforms. They're they're up to experiment. Um, they're you know they're buying more. Your e-commerce numbers are up, and and so while yes, people are, are still you're still seeing strong enough numbers you know on on cable. If, if we look at say a, you know a Bravo or an E that sort of thing, you know they're still watching the Housewives, but all of a sudden it, it's they're watching it on the and they'll be watching it on on Peacock and they'll be watching you know sports content anywhere they can get it uh, and they're and it's it's not you don't have to just go back to to the same shop and so what, what you're seeing now is you know that that legacy way of transacting um, really the the upfront model itself mm-hmm. has sort of crumbled I mean it's it's you know it's not dead in its entirety but you're you know you're you're starting to see where you know, a, a brand that maybe before had to commit to $60 million or $80 million, you know, in June for the ensuing 12 to 16 months. Well, now, you know, you're, you're able to, to hold back and say, man, you know, I, I don't want to commit as much. Uh, I may wind up spending as much, which is, you know, mm-hmm. which is digital, but I, but I, I want to be able to see different metrics. I want to be far more nimble again, which in a digital world, you can, you can pivot, you can change your plan, you can change your content, you can A-B test, you can do it every day of the week if you want. And and so in order to play ball with with those big spenders, you know, like your PNGs of the world on down, it's you know it, it it's it's gone gone are these these massive commitments and gone are the sort of locked in contract type approaches to, to the extent that you at least now uh, as you look at say a quarter to quarter basis, you know, there's an ability to pull back, there's an ability to cancel if, if things continue to happen the way that they've happened with such uncertainty in the world. Um, and, and again, that, that nimble transaction, that ability to be fluid in media buying and media planning uh, and, and in content planning and content creation, um, which, by the way, is its, is its whole own conversation when you mm-hmm. look at animation and, and just an ability to, to produce whatever can be produced. But obviously, a lot of things are on hold um, or, or canceled because, because you just can't get it done the way you used to with, with the same deal. So, so all of that, I think, has just rapidly brought you know the the digital world the digital media world that we've all known well for at least the last five years has really brought that to the doorstep of of the linear legacy and you know either either the nbcus and and viacom cbs's get on board quickly and that includes the way that you know that the nbcu thinks about peacock in relation to everything else um or else you know again there are all these other options so uh if brands don't care they're just looking for their audience and they can get them any way they want you know with content that they might produce in-house you know, all of a sudden the power shifts, and mm-hmm. and that's what I think makes the rest of 2020 and 2021 very very interesting. You make my job so easy. All I have to do is get you <laughs> on and tee you up, and away we go, and you get to yeah. make me look good. So thank you w- for that. W- w- wind it up and point me in the right direction. It's awesome. I'll fall off the counter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So hard right turn into how the heck you stay on top of all the information that you just shared with us. So I call it morning musts. What's yeah. the Jordan Hyman inbox look like? Yeah. Or maybe your social follows or a combination of the two. How do you stay on top of all this stuff on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I this, so don't think corny of me. I, I, I do love reading the news. I mean, I, I always have. I've been a, I've been a journal mm-hmm. subscriber for twelve or fourteen years at this point. Let's go with twelve. Um, and and frankly, I, I read it digital. I read it mobile 
mm-hmm. uh, in digital you know, laptop and, and mobile and print if, if you if you're not going to hang up because of me saying that no um, i still and like so, print if i can ever get uh, my hands on I, the damn thing i yeah i, I still pay for it in fact mm-hmm. i paid for it when i when i worked there but well that's another story um <laughs> but I, I i will say i I've, I've started to take my own medicine and start to read more perspectives than ever before. So as just yeah. straight up what's happening in the world, not just media. I, I've, you know, I've looked at, the, I look at the journal every day. The journal has a great 10 point newsletter. Yeah. New York times uh, has, has a great roll up of the day. And again, I'll deep dive if I'm interested in something. Um, and, and we subscribe as well. Insider, I think has done a brilliant job. Business mm-hmm. insider. Like, if you want to know what your customers and clients are up to, if you want to know from entrepreneur, you know, all the way up to Amazon, you know, which by the way, I read this morning is the world's largest advertiser now at eleven billion dollars a year. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, so so all, all that to me, um, I, I consume a lot of it in, in every morning with, without miss. Um, and then I also, uh, whether it's on a daily or weekly basis, uh, I really like what what WSJ has a CMO Today newsletter, yeah, which I find quick list. and easy. Um, every Friday, the company Nudge N U D G E mm. uh, put out by a guy named Ben Young, who who is their founder. Um, it's I think it's a it's a really succinct, but also offers a, a, a nice a nice breadth and and depth approach to um, you know everything from job openings to M and A to new campaigns of the week from a, from a brand content perspective. So you know if he has ten headlines there every Friday morning, I may have seen five during the week on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever. And I may have missed five, mm-hmm. and so it, it's sort of a failsafe. It's a nice way to make sure that I, that I haven't missed things. Um, uh, and I'm also looking at Ad Age and Ad Week. I mean, there, I have all my alerts set. Every possible alert you can set, uh, load me up. Um, CNBC gives me a lot of this on the corporate side. I'd, yeah. I'd rather dismiss it and say I get too many emails than miss something. Yeah. Um, and then another one too is Numerator. Numerator, um, which you know, it's, they changed they changed their name about three years ago. And they're, they're a weekly roll-up of, of just best-in-class branded content programs that have gone live. Um, and they also have trend analysis and stories that are happening within this space. And I, I just, you know, between all of that and, and, and social, which, you know, is sort of a nonstop scroll between right. mostly Twitter and LinkedIn, sometimes Facebook uh, and sometimes Instagram, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it all. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a, a real solid dose. And, you know, heck, at this point, if you're not connected enough to colleagues and former colleagues, you know, they'll, they'll tell you about something that you may have missed and you probably already saw it, but I'd rather have them reach out. So my own network is helpful. Roll all that together and, and you know, it would be a full-time job just to consume this stuff. Seriously. But I, I like it. I, I feel like, the, you know, the more you know, like like we've said at NBCU for years, you did know, you, the power of knowledge, it's key. Did you like my old school curation there? I just wind you up and I, I didn't know numerator and nudge. So I, have this, I do this every week and I just keep adding my email inbox is is saying mercy right now but uh i appreciate those see i learned it's great hey you know you can never have too much you you don't have to read it all but you can you can never have too much you decide what you want to consume uh if you want to follow jordan hyman it's great follow on twitter at jdh media j d is in dog h media uh on twitter uh where i follow him uh, Jordan, final question here. Bedside Bookstand, you're a smart guy. Uh, curious to see what's in your just read or on deck circle for books. Yeah, um, again, don't, don't think less of me. Uh, I, I read I read an essay early in the summer about how uh, how, how kids, students, mostly college students, and I think I'm old enough to call them kids, how, how they you know they weren't they had opinions on what's happening in the world and and they were extremely opinionated, but maybe didn't necessarily have all of the background from from a from a classics perspective mm-hmm. so um so i I, mean, I i went on amazon of course and ordered mm-hmm. about 10 books not that i've read them all um but i everything from 
the American by Henry James, which is which is old school, uh, to uh, Democracy in America, which is which is de Tocqueville, um, looking at like early yep. day democracy and you know a tour through the U.S. in the early 1800s. I mean, you're you're, you're reading that for not you're not even getting credit. I mean, no, that's no credit. Like college credit I, level right there, man. I, I, I mean, I, I never read it in college. Some of this stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I, I read. I did read. I mean, people were probably looking at me weird when I was when I was down the beach. But yeah, housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson. I mean, it, it like again, this is not this is not written necessarily for me. Right. Um. You know, it, it's it's about growing up in in you know in in rural America. Uh. In and and in Idaho and, and how, you know, just women in, in a household, uh, and, and how they, and the bonds that they formed. I mean, I, I just really interesting perspective. Um, and mm-hmm. I, and I, I continue to kind of add sort of random, I'm, I'm reading a, a Kierkegaard book. If, if you can believe that it's very tough to get through yes. and I'm, I'm, I'm not the most religious of folk, but like, you know, understanding purity of heart, I'm just trying to get different perspectives. Cause I, I think we're just at this inflection point in America, a true inflection point, And we're there in media and, you know, the more you can you can really invest yourself now to, to dig into these different thoughts, I think it's going to pay off. Very cool. Well, you know, I'm embarrassed to share mine because your your reading list is a little more more highbrow than mine right now. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you, you, you caught me at a good time. <laughs> so, Jordan Hyman, thank you so much for sharing uh, your time and insights with us. Uh, like I said before, it's kind of a first. I'm mean, about 25, 26 episodes into the brand story Inc. podcast this is the first time we've kind of like put the gauntlet down from the sales perspective and revenue generation and and so this perspective is much needed and, and i really enjoyed it thanks for joining i enjoyed it as well thanks thanks for having me jay i appreciate it thanks for listening to brand story inc we'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.